Welcome to the First Prez Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. Our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at firstprezcos.org. Well, good morning again. Today, today we're beginning a series that will take us through the rest of the summer. We're calling it, as you just saw, a great question. Jesus was a master of words, good at asking powerful questions, telling stories, providing pictures and images that grew one's imaginative capacities. A good question, as you know, can spark new ideas. It can reframe a situation. It can open up vulnerability and give us a new perspective. So let's open our scriptures this morning to Luke chapter 6. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along there as well. And let's read question number 1, Luke 6, beginning with verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete." The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray this morning that your word would go forth in our lives, that it would be planted deeply in our hearts, bearing fruit, building foundations. Lord, keep us open to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as a parent, I always feel a bit desperate for a good question to ask my kids at the end of the day. Maybe you feel it too. As a parent, maybe as a grandparent, maybe an aunt or an uncle, I want to know that my kids are learning and growing. So how can I engage them, their hearts and their minds? And I learned pretty quickly that the question, so what did you learn today, doesn't get much response. (laughs) How was your day is a non-starter, blank, nothing, I don't know, one word answers, fine, good. When Henry was in kindergarten, he brought home this little container to our house, this little art project. It's beautiful. It's pretty simple. (laughs) But inside this little container, it says family dinner conversation starters, um, was this little paper with this treasure trove of dinner questions. And for the last seven years, we have kept this above our dinner table in the cupboard above. And when we get to that point in dinner where we don't know what to say, we pull this out and everybody has a favorite question that they ask. It keeps the question, or it keeps the conversation going. Questions like, if you could change something about today, what would it be? Um, tell me something that you saw that made you feel sad today. Here's, here's the favorite, though, of our table. Pick one food on your plate, and then tell me about something you saw today that starts with the same letter. <laughs> That's fun. 
And then Maggie's favorite, tell a story about something that really happened today and then make up a story. All guess which is true. Adam doesn't like that one because he thinks it helps them learn how to lie. But... <laughs> but it's full of great questions for dinner time. Questions, um, great questions that, that families can ask each other, um, roommates around the dinner table, even life groups. It's, you know, it's not just kids that need good questions today. It's adults too. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to be pondering six questions that Jesus asks. Maybe you're curious what those are. You saw them scroll through. Each week, we'll look at a different question. And and it might not be a bad idea that after each sermon to, to go home and write on a piece of paper the question and then make your own little container by the dinner table. Put the questions in. And maybe when you're at a lack of conversation some night, pull one out and let it lead your conversation. So here's today's question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Great question. Yeah, why why do I do that? So let's start with where we're at in the Gospel of Luke. This question comes at the end of what is known in Luke as the Sermon on the Plain. It's chapter 6. And we're told in this section that Jesus comes down from the mountain where he's been praying, and he stands at a level place. That's the Sermon on the Plain. And a crowd surrounds him. And in that crowd were his disciples, whom he'd just appointed, and a great number of people from all over the region. And we're told that they have come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. The crowd was pressing in on him to touch him so that they could be healed. I'm sure it's loud and disorganized and a little bit chaotic. But we're told that there was power coming from Jesus, and he was healing them all. And in the midst of that scene, Jesus finds his disciples in the crowd, and he looks at them, and he begins to teach them. And in this section of teaching, there are several questions that Jesus asks, and we learn that his teaching style is to teach and ask, teach and ask, teach and ask. He wants them engaged personally, not just listening to concepts. Jesus' style is very interactive. He doesn't lecture, he engages. And here are some of the questions leading up to our question for today. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Why, don't you look, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? And then he ends all of that teaching with the passage that we just read today. So let's explore that. Jesus approaches our passage today from nature, with agriculture, with fruit trees. How many of you have a fruit tree growing in your yard? Some of you, yeah. We lived downtown for six years but never knew that we had a fruit tree in our yard until the summer before we moved. And all of a sudden, peaches appeared on this tree in our driveway, and we thought, who knew? We had a peach tree. (laughs) But Jesus begins by stating the obvious. A good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree does not bear bad fruit. A bad tree does not bear good fruit. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Yes, right, of course, we all know that. Healthy fruit comes from healthy trees. Rotten fruit indicates that the tree is not good. There's something wrong. We all know that if we want to pick a fig, we don't go looking for a thorn bush. If we want to pick grapes, we don't go to a briar bush. That translates across the whole fruit family. Apples come from apple trees. Oranges come from orange trees. The fruit is consistent with what the tree is. When we find good fruit on a tree, it's beautiful. The tree is fulfilling the purpose for which it was created to be. 
Jesus then in our passage compares that to a man, a human being. Good things come from a good man. Bad things come from an evil man. The same principle applies. What you are will be seen in the fruit you bear. And Jesus finishes by saying, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Your words, he's saying, are an indicator of the fruit that you are bearing because your words reveal what is filling your heart. Okay, so far are we tracking? Good, you're with me. Good. This is pretty simple. But then comes our question for today. So if all that is true, then tell me about this dilemma, Jesus says. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? If the mouth is supposed to reveal what is in the heart, as we've just agreed is the case, then how is it that your mouth can speak one thing and your life reveals something else? How can that be? Following the logic of the fruit trees, an apple tree can't deviate from what it is. It cannot bear oranges. A healthy tree will produce healthy fruit. Nature is consistent. But how is it that the crown of creation... Humanity itself has the ability to break itself from its own disposition, from its reality. How can it disconnect from itself saying one thing and doing another? How can I speak the name of Jesus, call him Lord and Savior, and my life can be a mess of disobedience, inconsistencies, and treating my neighbor like they are my enemy? And to be clear, we have our good moments where we show kindness, love, and grace, But I flip back and forth. I'm guessing you do too. Why do we do that? Wow, Jesus, great question. When the seed of a great question is planted, I suppose we have a couple options of what we can do with that question. We can say, wow, great question. I should really think about that. But I've got a lot of urgent things on my plate. I've got a lot to do. I'm very busy. And then that question just kind of slips off the radar. Or maybe we can hear a great question and say, wow, that's a great question. I know three people who should really answer that question. I'm going to forward it to them. Or maybe, wow, what a great question. I need to think about that. In fact, I'm going to take some time right now to to ponder that and to think through that. And then we do. We actually do. We think about and reflect on the question and we allow the richness of the question to enter our hearts as we make space to engage it. So let's step back into Luke's gospel for just a moment. Let's make sure this question is indeed for us. Let's be sure that this question is worth our time because this is a big question. Up to this point in Luke chapter 6, only two people have called Jesus Lord so far. Peter and the man with leprosy. So is Jesus just questioning these two individuals? Maybe, but not likely. Peter calls Jesus Lord in the same breath that he acknowledges that he is a sinful man. That's very consistent. The man with leprosy calls Jesus Lord, knowing that Jesus can heal him. They are tracking. The scribes and Pharisees have not yet claimed Jesus as Lord, so it's certainly not directed at them. And we're told that he's talking to his disciples right now, but 11 of them have not yet called him Lord. So who is Jesus talking to? Jesus seems to be anticipating the reality that when we call him Lord, we will all face this dilemma. We all have the capacity to call Jesus Lord and then not let the seeds of his lordship grow in our hearts. Yikes. The question is for us today, right here, right now. And if we stop to engage at this question, 
may help cultivate a richness of soil in our hearts. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I know that's true in my life, so where do we even start answering that question? This is the discipleship dilemma. The Apostle Paul goes straight at at it, writing, What I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I do. Even the Apostle Paul wrestles with this reality. There are two natures at work in us, Paul writes, the new nature, the old nature, and there's a battle between them. We're both saved and being saved. Our salvation is secure, and it's also a journey of obedience and transformation. So why don't I do what Jesus says? Well, let's list out the things that Jesus has just taught the disciples. Maybe that will help us. Because there are some very challenging commands. Nothing he tells them to do is by any means easy. Listen to this. He has just said to them, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Lend to your enemy without expecting anything back. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do not judge. Do not condemn forgive, take the plank out of your own eye before you address the speck in your brother's eye. The simple answer to why I don't do these things, perhaps, is these things are hard. I don't know if I can do these things. I'm not even sure I want to do these things. I certainly don't want to spend an ounce of energy on someone who can't stand me, right? I don't have the energy to examine the plank in my eye because it might mean I'll have to do something about it and I simply don't have the time. Desire, time, urgency of life, busyness, lots of reasons, perhaps, that we don't do what Jesus says. But Jesus asks the question, I believe, not because he wants to motivate us into expending more energy to simply try harder. We've all played that game. Maybe some of us are playing that game today in some areas of our lives. I don't think Jesus asked this question with a hard and disappointed look in his eye, wondering when the heck are you all going to get it together? I think, and this is me, I think he asks it with a little light in his eye, as if he has a secret that he's dying to share. Jesus throws out the question to start a conversation, a conversation that has transformational possibilities. He's asking us to make space to engage the question with him. And taking the question to heart, answering it with honesty, humility, and vulnerability can open the door to a meaningful moment full of potential. Will we respond? Then Jesus shifts to a different visual comparison. Stay with me. Are you still tracking? The metaphor moves from fruit trees to building houses, from nature to nurture, from gardening to building. Two houses, one with a strong foundation, one with no foundation. What are you building in your life, he implies. Jesus indicates that we're all building something, but are you building something that lasts or something that will fall apart at the slightest threat? He says, a man built a house, he digs deep, he lays the foundation on rock, a flood comes, a massive flood, but the house doesn't even shake. It's well built. Another man builds a house on the ground. He doesn't bother with the foundation, the same flood comes, it's a massive flood, and the house collapses, total destruction, nothing left. 
That's a bad house. <laughs> what are you building? Jesus is clear about the meaning of the images. He says, every time you hear the word of God and don't put it into practice, you're building a house without a foundation. When the storm comes, it will not survive. There will be complete destruction. Why would you even bother building that house? But when you hear the word of God and practice it, the shovel goes in the earth. The digging begins. And the foundation slowly forms. When Jesus asks a question, the best response is to respond. When Jesus asks a question, the best response is to respond. When I was in my 20s, um, a small film debuted at the little independent theater down the way from where I was living in western Massachusetts, Strictly Ballroom. I saw it several times. I loved it. It's one of my favorite films. But let me just say this. It's satire, so you need to know that. It's Australian, so there are very thick accents. But the point in this movie is clear because the points are often clear in a parody. It's about a, a young Spanish-speaking um, immigrant woman whose family's living in Australia. Fran, she's on the screen. Fran wants to be a dancer, and she enrolls at a little Australian studio where it's quickly determined that her best place in the studio is to mop floors for the real dancers. She's awkward. She's stiff. It's quickly decided that Fran will stay in beginners. That's where she belongs. But there's more, of course, to Fran than meets the eye. On the other hand... Australian ballroom king Scott Hastings is strictly ballroom. He's next in line to win the Pan Pacific Grand Prix. He's so good. All he has to do is show up, and they know that he will win. He's highly technical. His steps are perfection. But lately, something is off in Scott's rhythm. He has this growing awareness that he's missed something entirely about dancing. He's become hollow, disconnected, disengaged, and he's losing his edge. He starts dancing outside the lines, making up his own steps, and throwing the entire dance federation into absolute chaos. It's a scandal because there are no new steps. In short, he's sabotaging himself. One simply does not dance non-federation steps and win. That's the story. Throughout the movie, Scott never sees Fran, even though she's there every day at the studio, cleaning up behind him. He's the best. She's nothing. A beginner. On the night that Scott finally notices Fran, he's surprised to see that she's actually making up her own steps as well. And he pauses. And he stops. And for one brief moment, Scott stops obsessing over his own self-absorbed life crisis. And for the first time in the movie, he sees somebody else. And in that moment, he makes a choice. He chooses to respond to her. He asks her to show him her steps. Now, from that moment, the movie takes a completely different turn. You can probably figure out where the film goes 
It's a fun movie. It's a romantic comedy that makes fun of itself. Mind you, though, it's, it's not rated G. It's PG. I feel like I have to say that since I live with the editor of PluggedIn.com. <laughs> if you show it to your six-year-old, don't come talking to me. <laughs> Here's the thing. Strictly Ballroom is a silly love story. But it's also about the importance of being responsive, of stopping, of paying attention, of seeing what's going on around you, of realizing that your story isn't the only story in the room, and letting other people ask you the important questions. Jesus asks a lot of questions. They're not always easy to answer. But responding to Jesus is the point. Jesus' questions are always invitations to respond, invitations to relate to the one who created you, who loves you, to spend time with the only one who can heal the gap between your mouth and your heart. You want to be a good tree and bear good fruit? Do you want to build a strong house with a deep foundation? Well, yes, these are not trick questions. These are easy questions to answer. In John chapter 15, Jesus revisits the theme of fruitfulness, saying, Apart from me, you can do nothing. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. There is no lasting fruit and no eternal rock to build on apart from the Lord. Here's the thing. When we call Jesus Lord, we are saying one of the most truest things that we can ever say. Jesus is Lord. Lord of creation, Lord of life, Lord of everything. Apart from him, there is nothing. So why do we call Jesus Lord and then not do what he says? That's a great starting point for your conversation with Jesus today. Will you pause today, somewhere in your day? Take a breath, stop, look around, engage the question with Jesus. Put your shovel in the ground. Those who have trusted Jesus with their lives for centuries have found that the Lord is not only a trustworthy conversation partner, but a firm foundation on which to build a life. The psalmist writes, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. When Jesus asks a question, the best response is to respond. The question is before you. So perhaps the only question left for us today is how will you respond? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you love us. 
that you care deeply about our lives, that you want us to be whole. Grateful that you walk into the room and ask us questions that we might engage with you and that you might pour your healing and love and grace into our lives, fashioning us, shaping us. Lord, you are our rock. You are the tree of life. We want to feed from you and build on you. Help us to find time today to engage with you on this question. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the First Prez podcast. If you would like more information, you may visit our website at firstprezcos.org.